Hi, welcome to Dave and Cole's podcast. Today we're talking about the Oscars. Uh, we're reviewing Everything Everywhere All at Once by the Daniels, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinhart, which had 11 nominations and 7 wins, and The Whale by Darren Aronofsky with 3 nominations and 2 wins. Everywhere, Everything Everywhere took home Best Picture and Best Actress, and The Whale took home Best Actor. So I feel like those are the big three, the three that come at the end, that you wait for, all the presentations. Everything, everywhere. So let's start with everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, I hope I don't alienate people. I did not like it. Uh, I gave it a four out of ten, and I'll talk at length about that as we go. <laughs> How did you feel? Well, I will say that I was a little higher on the film than you, in that I'd give it like a solid six out of ten. Um, I think it's a perfectly adequate film. Um, I think there are some really uh, fun and heartfelt performances, uh, specifically from Ki Hui Kwan, uh, also known as, known as Short Round or Data, uh, if you're a child of the 80s like I am. Um, he makes a return to acting after 20 years, and he absolutely hits his performance out of the park. I also think Michelle Yeoh is very good, as, as is Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, now that said... All of those guys are born stars. Like Jamie Lee, uh, James Hong. If you read James Hong's Wikipedia, it's insane. Um, Yeah. The man was born to be a star. He had it in his blood from the beginning. Um, He's been acting for 70 years. I mean, he's really, really prolific. But all of them, Michelle Yeoh is another one that has an incredible career, is an incredible actress. So that's, that's where all my points went. (laughs) <laughs> yes, it, it, exactly. Like, okay, so let me let me take it a step back. I enjoyed the film. I think it's pretty light. It's another multiverse movie. There are some inventive visuals, but the thing is, is that it's nothing that we haven't seen before. It's just kind of a hodgepodge of a lot of your favorite kind of sci-fi tropes. It does tell it through this interesting lens, uh, where the main character is a dissatisfied middle-aged mother, um, and and that is kind of a neat twist. Again, I like the film. I just think it's um, it, it's we, we're living in a time where people are quick to um, to to praise films because they're about something or because they're giving light to something rather than the actual merits of that thing. Um, this this movie has a lot of positive themes that are very trendy right now, and I support most of those things. But I feel like. It's a movie that is being rewarded because it, it's it's uh, about those subjects versus any uh, specifically outstanding aspect of the film itself outside of the performances. So it feels like an Oscar movie. It feels like an Oscar movie. It yeah. feels like an Oscar movie done through uh, the multiverse twist, so which is, again, all the rage right now. What's kind of funny is, so there's basically two stories here. Like you said, there's Michelle Yeoh's character is a dissatisfied middle-aged woman that that owns a laundromat with her husband and they don't have a good relationship she also doesn't have a good relationship with her daughter um and she barely has any relationship with her father her father is like very traditional chinese he's visiting for his birthday that's story number one that might be an oscar story an oscar type of movie um but then the other story is it's a matrix parody it's a parody of the Matrix. That's hundred percent right. And even in the visuals, we've like, seen it. We've it, seen the, it so many times. 
Yeah, the Matrix the, the came tech, out a long time ago. Right. The, the tech feels like Matrix 1, and a lot of the multiverse visuals feel like Matrix Reloaded, and well, specifically Matrix Reloaded. Um, but I'm glad you said that, because I was thinking that exact same thing. So, you know, there's the Lego movie, which is a Matrix parody, right? The Lego movie, to me, has more heart than this movie, because it's wrapped around the whole Lego thing. This movie, to me, felt more like the second story, the Matrix parody, was more along the lines of Scary Movie or Not Another Teen Movie or something like that where where they're like, hey, this is the Matrix parody, but we're also going to throw in a Ratatouille parody. <laughs> we're also going to throw in, you know, uh, a Smash Brothers sound effect. Like, we're going to have a lot of different parodies in there um, to kind of keep it fresh, I guess. Um, you know what it but... felt like to me? It felt like uh, Spielberg's adaption of Ready Player One, where it was like, hey, sci-fi nerds will like this thing when we put it in here. And she throws um, there's... the shield like Captain America. It's right, got that. right. Yeah, there, there's a lot of... Uh, it, it's funny because it's not a direct adaption of anything. It is an original story-ish, original-ish story. But it's also like one of the biggest uh, fan service movies I've seen in a long time in that it's paying fan service to all these tropes. Yeah. And the everything bagel as well is kind of... On the nose a little bit? Yeah, it's kind of like a big... It's silly, right? It's all very silly. I guess there's some interstellar in there. (laughs) I'm surprised there wasn't more like Sriracha in this movie because like Sriracha was a really big thing a few years ago. You know what I mean? Like, it's just it feels like a it it feels they should have it should have been a kitchen sink instead of an everything bagel because this movie throws in everything but the kitchen sink. Um, Right. Yeah. So so I that's why I ended up going four on this because I actually started to fall asleep. And I think for some people, the people I talk to really love the the two stories together. Like, they're stronger together. Um, they're like, oh, I really felt for these characters, as well as I laughed when the raccoon, you know, when she takes off his hat and there's a raccoon there. Um, but for me, it was once we went into that world of parody, like really deep into that world of parody, I didn't care about anybody at all. I didn't care about her laundromat. I cared for the first 20 minutes about everything that was going on. But then after that, I was just kind of not interested in that other, in, in, I guess the real world. It's hard to tell if it was all real, but one problem I had is okay. So several of these. Okay, let me let me first give it a little bit of props because so often in multiverse movies we get a like a glimpse of these worlds. And when I mean glimpse, I'm talking like Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, where there is one scene where the character is literally like thrown through several different multiverses, and you see them for just a moment. This movie actually does feel like they gave real thought even if they're goofy they gave real thought to what this universe would be like um now that said yeah i i I think a lot of it is too cartoony that's where it falls apart for me totally like i laughed so hard at the whole rakakuni thing i thought that was hilarious and every time they went back to it for an emotional pull Right. I just did not care i was like well we're going back here huh he's sad because it it introduced itself as a parody 
right? It is, a, it is a parody to me, so I can't really feel. Maybe I'm weird. I can't no, no, feel I... sad for him that his raccoon is being taken away. I kind of laugh, but even then, I'm not. I just lose interest because the joke has worn out for me. Well, and also it's one of those movies where, like, we know that there's going to be that reu- that, that reunion scene. It's not like we don't know where that's going, right? I mean, we don't necessarily know how we're going to get there, but we know that that guy and that raccoon are going to be reunited. <laughs> that man um, and raccoon will be but, together again. But, but, but here's the other thing, outside of just some of these worlds being parodies in and of themselves, is that, like, even in the non-parody worlds, like, there's already been... I mean, there's been so much death and destruction. It just feels like um, there's no weight or stakes to it. Because oh, another the action, the action world, right? There's really only the one Matrix world. Right. The other, the other ones are different kinds of parodies. Yeah. Um, But the Matrix world is is the one we spend the most time in. Right. And the stakes are gone pretty early from that. Yep. I, I don't remember when I lost interest in that, but I think it's when they tied the daughter up with duct tape. When sure. they tied her up with tape, and I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, um, I, I, I do... I So back to your point earlier, and I, I, I think I, I took us off track, but uh, you talked about how this movie doesn't have the heart. I do slightly disagree with that in, in the Waymond character, the, the Kihiwi Kwan character. I do think that he really is the heart of the story, and that, that character totally works for me. Um, but uh, I will say that... I like Michelle I think Yeoh, too. She's I excellent. She's... But here's my problem. This is my problem. Okay, so in this movie, in this movie, like the answer is found through the multiverse. As opposed to her going into the multiverse and realizing that the answer was actually in her world. And, and here's what I mean by that. So Captain America is a great hero because even when he was Steve Rogers, he was Captain America, right? He didn't become Captain America. The, the, the serum that he took allowed him to be who he always was. I wanted that kind of resolution in this movie where it, she didn't have to see a thousand versions of her life. You know what I mean? Like, that wasn't the solution. That wasn't the potion. I wanted her to have the realization in her life. Yeah, it, think... In the mundane, um, you know, her mundane existence. Yeah, in my head, when I try to pull it together in any kind of logical sense, like you're saying, the movie becomes kind of mushy. Like, I think mm-hmm. of the narrative, again, as like, this is a parody of The Matrix. This is a parody... like. They're not really those, and those parody movies like uh, Scary Movie. I'm trying to think of other ones, but there's a ton of them. Epic Movie. They don't right. really have a strong through line. They're not really about. It's not the about characters. that. It's about the gag. Yeah, it's about the gag. Yeah, and so I kind of felt the same way with this. Like it's hard for like when you say she should be, it should come from inside of her. Like mm-hmm. I don't really even see a her. Like to me that like that like her is gone from this movie it's just it's just a series of gags yeah um and then a lot of those gags were on way too long and and then and and they just keep going so like there's a lot of slow-mo in this as well <laughs> a lot of slow-mo mm-hmm. various slow-mo shots and um, i mean she is what 55 years old or something like i understand why they had to do the action in slow-mo because she uh-huh. physically probably can't do real choreography 
Um, but but it, it does get old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I, again, by, like, the third Matrix scene, I kind of got it. And I, and I don't see how that ties into her as a character in the real world at all. Like, when you say, like, she came back from the lesson, like, she came back with one lesson of, like, loving mm-hmm. instead of being angry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... And that's where the googly eyes come in. Right. Yeah. But I I don't really see how that tied into the daughter or anything. It just, it seemed like a bunch of, a bunch of funny things in a row. Yeah. You know what scene I really actually thought had some poignance was the rock scene. Um, So when the, the, they're talking about. Again, they kept going back there. That's right. That's right. The, the first one. Or the rock parody. That's how I would. Right, the rock, yeah. But I I think the first time we see the characters in this universe and they're just having this simple conversation, I think that that worked because it was clever. And, like, I'm sorry, like, why is this an action movie to begin with? Why why is that, like, they're they're also doing, because of Matrix parody for sure, but, like, um, I just, this movie's two hours and 15 minutes and it felt like there's a solid 30 minutes that you could just excise and the, the, the themes might actually work better. So that's a good kind of transition too, because I I find it really actually very interesting that this is the Oscar movie because Oscars typically don't go for popcorn movies. They certainly don't go for parodies. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is kind of the Oscar movie for the other story, the laundromat story, the failing, disintegrating family structure story. Um, and I think for a lot of people that love this movie, and there are a lot, I talked to many people. I'm I'm the only one that hated it. <laughs> it it's a crowd pleaser. Like I again, I like the movie. Like because of my review, the the problem is is that you can't ignore the the place that a film has in in society in the in the discussion, right? And so we're both approaching this movie as the eleven time Oscar nominated seven Oscar win movie. And I am just looking at this as a, a nice popcorn movie that's fun. It's, you know, I, I don't think about it after that. Um, so I give it a solid six. I like it. But my critique is that this is not a 10 out of 10 knockout movie. Yeah. I I feel like I... You dislike I it more. <laughs> a bunch of movies on this podcast. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I also think that... Um, as I was thinking about it, maybe parody movies aren't for me in general. Like they kind of don't have the Weird the Al same... movie didn't work for you. Well, I liked Weird Al way more than this, but Weird Al had yeah. had like a through line that you could right. kind of follow. This this was very like um, flip a switch. We're in a new, right. you know, we're doing something different now. Um, I've also heard it compared to Rick and Morty and like Intergalactic Cable and those kinds of things where it, it's almost. It's, this is not ad libbed, which I liked, but but whereas Intergalactic Cable is, but it is kind of like, hey, we're in another world now. We're doing some zany stuff, and we're back to this other part, and now we're gonna have a emotional part with music. That's always what it is. It's like here's some sad music, <laughs> and then you know, people get the feels. Um, yep. Well, so and I and I I should say. I don't think the sci-fi or the humor in this film work nearly as good as Rick and Morty. I mean, I think Rick and Morty is a way smarter show than this movie is. Um, but I will admit that it 
I maybe I'm a sucker, but the feels the feels got me a little bit on on everything. Um, the rocks. It's just on the rocks, or just the rocks through it, through it. Well, 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 well. Wayman's character. Did I mean, I'm, I'm a sucker. I felt for the Wayman like, character when we go back to the when we go back to the to the real world, right? And she breaks the mm-hmm. window. Then she mm-hmm. kind of has a connection with Jamie Lee Curtis. Then she has a connection yeah. with, right? She has another connection with her daughter. She has another connection with her husband, right? She kind of amends all mm-hmm. the relationships at once, or not at once, but mm-hmm. you know, throughout the third act. Um, did you feel like, man, like that was a good, reson- like that? I really resonated with, with her connection to these people. Well, I think the problem, too, is that the Michelle Yeoh character is, for lack of a better term, the straight man, right? It's the stoic center of the movie for most of the movie. And because of that, you don't have the same emotional investment that you do with Wayman, the husband, or, or even the daughter. So they kind of do... It's, it's not fair to call it a bait and switch, but for the first three quarters of the movie, this character either is not emotional or kind of unlikable, Right. Um, and then they try to do this, well, in the last fourth of the movie, now she's you're starting to break through and there's emotions. And, and I think it, it is a, a, a steep hill to climb to ask, well, m- maybe we are the outliers, though, because everybody else that I've talked to really likes the film. But um, I felt this more movie. for this. The, yeah, the, the peripheral characters worked more for me, even though I do recognize that the Michelle Yeoh uh, performance is quite good. The, the last thing, I, I love Michelle Yeoh. Uh, she did a great interview for vanity fair on this movie that is just reminds me how much i love all of her stuff that Mm. she's ever been in um the last thing i want to say is that this movie was made for i keep doing this i don't know why 25 million which is pretty low for what they did we were talking about how cocaine bear seemed under underfunded as the high budget comedy this is kind of the the same middle budget comedy um they did a lot wasn't cocaine bear 40 million I think Cocaine Bear was I think forty it was million. Thirty. Thirty. Well, either way, Maybe. if I Cocaine it was Bear, uh, I mean, listen, the visuals in this movie, I and I get it. Cocaine Bear has a fully uh, animated right. uh, main character, so that's going to eat up. Yeah. Right. Um, but still, visually, everything, everywhere, all at once, did a lot with their money. They did a lot, especially with what they set out to accomplish. Um, yep. It's pretty impressive that they, you know, there's a lot of great scenes in it visually. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I, I like the film and I'm I'm happy for the film, right? I'm happy that Ki Hee Kwan won an Oscar because that's a good, feel good story. Uh, and that's a good transition <laughs> right there. <laughs> yeah. So the whale was made for three million. Yeah. The whale, I'm going to give an eight out of ten. Okay, I'm glad. Uh, can I jump in? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping you will. Okay, so let me say that I am also going to give the whale an eight out of ten. Um, expectations are a funny thing. So I had heard all Oscar season that this was kind of a miss from Darren Aronofsky, but a killer performance by Brendan Fraser, not Fraser, Fraser, um, and. I also I I kind of have a a weird dynamic with uh, Darren Aronofsky. I might have said this in a previous episode about Pixar, um, but whenever a Pixar movie comes out, 
I never get excited. I see the trailer, I never get excited. The movie comes to theaters, I never get excited. I eventually see the movie and I love it. I have that relationship with every single Pixar movie. The reason that's relevant is because I actually really like Darren Aronofsky, and I actually really like his weirder, more recent stuff. Like um, Mother? I haven't seen it. Well, but Well, Mother, I think Mother is really interesting. I don't know if I would say that I like it or recommend it, but I would certainly watch it from time to time because of how interesting it is, both thematically and visually. Um, but he has a, a The Trilogy. That's what I'm calling it. His Darren Afsky's The Trilogy. The Fountain, The Wrestler, and The Whale. I, th- I think he is... Um, He's a unique voice that's not for everybody. Uh, But I was surprised by how quickly this movie engaged me. Yes, Brendan Fraser's performance is is very, very good. And I'm glad that he's getting recognition for that. He's back. He's back. But also, I think this is is a one-location adaption of a, a theatrical play. And... Aronofsky's continuously finding ways to make it visually interesting. He's continuously finding ways to engage the audience and make their feel like there's momentum. Um, I don't know that I agree with the whale winning best visual effects. I Throughout the entire film, I thought the fat suit, which is a combination of, of a real suit and CG, um, I thought it was a little distracting. But here's what I'll say. F- Brendan's performance is so good i literally stopped thinking about it like actively thinking about it after about three or four minutes so i think it won best makeup and hairstyling not okay not not overall yeah okay okay well that that makes more sense because i do think i mean and listen it's a it's it's an impossible task right brendan fraser that's why i think he i mean i haven't seen every movie that came out but he did a great job and he is in a fat suit, but he sells it that he really is heavy. It's a performance. It's it's a physical and emotional performance. Yeah, and I think it helps a lot that Brendan Fraser is a really likable guy. I mean, just... Yes. He's got big puppy dog eyes. I don't know yes. how else to describe it. You can't help but want... It's the same thing with, with everything, right? Kihi Kwan, you want to root and like... that. You want to root for and like this person. There's just something inherently likable about them. And um, the fact that uh, both of them um, actually had real-world kind of comebacks, right? They were both the underdog in the same year, and they both give killer performances. There's a reason that they were that they won. And, and yes, the, the performances are excellent, but people also just like them, and they want to see them rewarded. The story I heard was that he... Kihei Huey Kwan's uh, brother was <clears throat> auditioning for short round and he was just in the hall acting crazy and they were like get that kid in here that kid knows that kid's got, got that lightning that we need to can play opposite Harrison Ford well Spielberg's got an eye for, for young talent and um, you know he was producing on that film um, and I'm sure I'm because sh- we know Lucas does not have an eye for young talent. Um, I'm sure that was a Spielberg decision. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's Brendan Fraser does a great job, and I I did tear up. I don't think I cried. I don't think the tears came out of my eyes; they were absorbed back in. <laughs> <laughs> but 
but I did feel really um, uh, emotional for him uh, a few times. The the things that kind of work against this are, like you said, it, it's just a it's a play. It feels like a play. Often the characters feel yeah. like they're delivering lines, like they're in a play. Yeah. Um, but I think that there's a lot that offsets that, and that again is a Darren Aronofsky thing. He does quite a lot with the camera. Um, that's just interesting, like making mm-hmm. the camera move around. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brendan Fraser also. The sound I thought was great. They had like a giant flute, a giant mm-hmm. overtone flute that makes mm-hmm. these like really interesting, like almost almost like groaning noises. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's parts where he eats and is self-destructive. The, the, the eating scenes, listen, and this is someone again who I immediately wanted to root for this character and like this character. The eating scenes are fucking disgusting. And they it's are, because of yeah. the sound design. It's it's that that flute. <laughs> yeah. That overtone flute. And there's also a beat that picks up in there too to make it seem more like uh, wild. Um, but the, that reminded me too of Requiem for a Dream where you see people self-destructing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you think of the ending? Um, I actually liked the... Are you talking about the final shot? Yeah, the, yeah final scene, final interaction. Uh, okay, so let me back up a little bit and I'll get to that. You want to spoil um, it? I'm down. I think... Well, no, I haven't fine spoiling it. I just want to say, like... Uh, so there's... There's four... Really four main characters in the film with a couple extra coming in. So there's the Charlie character who's Brendan Fraser, the the, the, the titular whale. There is his uh, best friend and caretaker, Liz. Um, there is a uh, kind of uh, uh, religious uh, what, what outreach person. Missionary. Um, who's missionary, thank you. Uh, who, who ends up saving Charlie, Charlie's life early on in the film. And then there is Charlie's... Um, long uh long forgotten or not forgotten but basically charlie leaves his his wife and his very young daughter um when she's eight or nine because he's been living a closeted life he's a gay man and he finds this this man that he wants to you know spend his life with but in doing so he left his family kind of high and dry um and his daughter now in the current is played by sadie sink from uh stranger things I don't think this character works. I don't think it's a bad performance. But um, similar to in Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, the first three quarters of that film, we're kind of dealing with a hostile hostile lead. And then like in the last quarter, we're, we're asked to all of a sudden sympathize and buy this emotional journey on her. Um, with, with Ellie, the daughter, she is a terrible person. Yeah, and they, not they ju- tried to toe that line of... I don't think they towed it at all. I think she's a straight up monster. Um, and here's the problem: is like this is not uh, this is not like a moment that we're experiencing now. She's been bad for so long that the mother tells uh, Charlie that her their daughter is evil. She uses the words evil. Um, and there's this big realization that Charlie has that 
that she is um, benevolent, that she's acting um, in the only way she knows how, but it's for people's best interests. The problem is, is that nothing that we see leading up to that makes me think that's that's legitimate. Well, his theory is that she's just being honest, and then his whole theme is that people should be honest. And I think that ends up being a little bit confusing because she's also just mean. (laughs) Right. Well, and deceitful. She poisons her dad. She literally drugs it, his his drink. Um, she uh, records right. the the Thomas character without knowing. Um, she takes pictures of people uh, when they're you know indisposed or unexpected, compromised. Um, she's she's I, manipulative. I, she's yeah. So long story short, um, I really enjoyed the movie. I give it an eight. I give uh, the Charlie performance a ten. I'm glad he won the Oscar. Just like a uh, short round. Um, the the, no, the no father daughter Michelle Yeoh she deserves she was excellent she's uh, she's just she's not my emotional hook to that film right nice. like in that film the husband is my emotional hook in this film Charlie the Brendan Fraser character is my emotional hook I do think um, uh, Hong Chow who plays Liz is fantastic she was also in the menu which we, we revealed uh, reviewed earlier and she was fantastic in that I may or may not have a crush on her but she has uh, an interesting she's character. also very good. Uh, again, they're trying to toe lines, right? Where this is one of those movies where nobody's good or bad, right? That's what they're going right. for. They're like, all they're can, all compromised. You can debate endlessly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hong Chao's character is his friend Liz, who is a nurse, so she takes his blood pressure, but then she also continues to feed him the worst food ever, mm-hmm. and she seemingly has resigned that he's going to die and she's going to help him get there. Right. Uh, which is kind of an odd, odd thing. Um, they all kind of enable each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought there was going to be some kind of conflict between Hong, Liz, Liz is the character's name, and Sadie Sink's character, the daughter, about him and his weight or something, but it never happened. That wasn't the point of the movie. Right. Um, so, yeah, this is another Oscar movie in that there really isn't a point. <laughs> It's just, it's just sad, and people people do indie movie things like disintegrate. Right, um, yeah, uh, I I agree with that. I do. I still felt, you know, it's funny because when I look again at at Aronofsky's um, resume, the the movies that are the darkest actually work the least for me. Like. Requiem for a Dream, uh, I recognize, is a phenomenal um, film craft, right? Like, the craft behind that film is is top-notch. But I don't like it as much as The Fountain. I don't like it as much as The Wrestler, right? Black Swan is is really good, but I didn't like it as much as I like The Whale. Um, uh, He's an interesting director with a really unique perspective. He often takes a look at either the darker underbelly of things or at least he's trying to frame it through that realistic prism that everything is morally you know corrupt or, or at least uh, morally uh, um, what, what am I trying to find here uh, they all have dirt right like everybody is is, is nobody's un- good or evil right everybody's a gray um, but yeah. I really like the whale, you, you know. Even though I agree that there are some shortcomings, just inherently uh, because it's a play adaptation. You know, I think that you like it 
this is my thoughts on this, why I like it too. I'm projecting onto you. <laughs> <laughs> I think that you like it because Brendan Fraser is a likable guy. He puts in a good performance and the camera's on him. I mean, he he is interesting. He does a yeah. great job. And, you know, like you said, Aronofsky is a strong director. Um, but this could have easily been... Uh, a movie that's too depressing to watch, which a lot of people kind of, I, that was what I thought it was going to be going in. I was like, I was saying, Oh, this movie is going to be depressing. You know, I've got my, my shields up for the darkness, mm-hmm. <laughs> the Aronofsky darkness that I'm going to embrace now. Um, Cause I do like things to feel good. And I, I never went there for me where it was so, depressing i couldn't watch it or didn't want or you know had to look away or anything or or thought why am i torturing myself with this mean movie because because i like brendan fraser and i and i felt genuinely like i wanted to to watch him see his story through 100 percent um i i think that there's a lot of truth to that um you know specifically about how kind of Brendan Fraser's Rising Tide lifts the film. Um, but I do still think it's a well-directed film. I think the, the characters are engaging, even if they're complicated. Um, I, I don't really buy the, the daughter as a character or her resolution. Um, but that, I don't think that's the fault of Sadie Think- Sink. I think she gives a good performance for what the story is asking from her. Yeah, her ending where she reads the... I'm spoil it. Yep, she spoiler. reads the essay back to him because that's what he asked for. Is not well, a character ask, at all. She no, and let, let me ask you this. Did you think... Okay, because the, the story is setting it up. Um, okay, for some background, the, the uh, man that Charlie falls in love with is one of his students. There's nothing weird about it. The student is an adult male. He's taking night courses. Um, they don't get together until after the semester is over. I think I know where you're going with this. So Did yes. you think that the essay was his essay? The lover's yes. essay. So this yes. this is this is what I thought because in the very opening scene, um, we find Charlie masturbating and he has a heart attack, um, and he can't save himself. And this is when we're introduced to Thomas, the missionary character who saves his life, or at least helps him. Um, anyway, uh, the thing that Thomas does is he reads this uh, essay, this review of Moby Dick. And it's setting it up. The film is setting it up, and I would say successfully. We think this is the essay of his deceased lover. Yes. The twist is, in the end, it's been his daughter's essay from when she was a child the whole time. She's always been brutally honest, even before he left. Right. Um, I, I think that that twist was kind of effective. Yeah, um, ex- except that I don't buy the character, and I don't buy that turn of her her behavior. Yeah, I I felt like she didn't do anything to show that she really cared for his well-being at all um ever. There was never a moment where she seemed like she might change. It's hard to flip people. Sometimes, you know, they try to flip a character in a narrative and people say that's impossible that person would have ever done that and sometimes it works and the movie is that much more meaningful because the person had a, had a meaningful change um so i think yeah you could argue that that was her change that she did care at the end but it's it's hard for me definitely to accept that 
that that was a character the, for her to even read it to him to do anything. I call for him. yeah, I call those Grinch moments, right? Like the Grinch who stole Christmas. There's literally yeah. one moment where his heart grows ten times or whatever Christmas it is. Christmas Carol with Ebenezer right. Scrooge. Yes, and it's just it's unearned, you know, and and because it's unearned, it doesn't feel believable. There's not a hint of that in that character prior to that moment. Um, and so again, I think it's a fine performance from Sadie Sink. I just, I don't like that character and I don't buy it. Yeah. All right. I think that's a wrap. Well, I want to recommend something here. Okay. Now, uh, the, the whale is rightfully being called Brandon Fraser's best performance. Um, I think that is true. I think it's a really great performance. I don't believe this is something that we'll look back on in a few years and go, why'd that win? Um, even though I think we might say that for everything, everywhere, all at once. Not necessarily performance-wise, but the film. Um, however, prior to The Whale, uh, Brendan Fraser's best performance came from the 2002 film The Quiet American uh, by Philip Noyce. Um, it's set in Vietnam in the 1950s, uh, and it stars Michael Caine, Brendan Fraser, um, and Michael Caine is an English reporter. He's reporting um, the, the instability in Vietnam, as well as America trying to kind of needle their way in to the country. Um, Brendan Fraser plays uh, what we first think is a kind of an idealistic American type, a do-gooder, a volunteer. We That's find cool. out he... Well, it's a two, it's a twenty one year old film. Um, I won't spoil it. Okay, I won't spoil it. It's a recommendation. It. It's a recommendation. You're right. I won't spoil it. I will say though, the film is is really it's quite good, and it is the second best Brendan Fraser performance now. After this one, after after the whale. And you had another recommendation. I did. Uh, for anyone who did uh, like everything, everywhere, all at once, which is most um, people. <laughs> Which is most people. Uh, the Daniels made a really bizarre and really funny and really heartwarming movie uh, in 2016 called Swiss Army Man. Um, it stars Paul Dano and uh, uh, Daniel Radcliffe, Harry Potter. Um, the the general premise is that there uh, there the this guy is ship is is uh, deserted on an island. Everybody's dead. Um, but he finds the washed-up body of Daniel Radcliffe. So the entire film, Daniel Radcliffe is playing a dead person. But it's a fantastic performance. Um, and Paul Dano is also very good in it. But uh, if you're interested in a, a good, bizarre, heartwarming, funny movie, Swiss Army Man. I think you can watch that on HBO or... I'm not sure. It's, I know It's on HBO Max for sure. I know it's in my list on one of the services because I've been meaning to watch that for a while. Yeah, I I give it a strong recommendation. I think um, I think that the I would rate it highly above everything, everywhere, all at once. I would give that a solid eight, eight and a half. All right, and for next week, we're gonna do Mario vs Sonic. We'll probably do we'll probably throw in both Sonic movies. Nintendo versus Sega, baby. A review, thirty years in the making. That's right. I can't wait. And, uh, you know, I've heard good things about both films, which is interesting. So much so that uh, I'm hearing there's going to be a Nintendoverse now. That's right, folks. Get ready. All your favorite 90s Nintendo video games are getting a movie. Yep. All right. We'll see you next time.